question is, uh, some days ago you spoke about impersonal consciousness. Can you please tell us something more about it? Thank you. It's a very good question. <laughs> because the consciousness, as you investigate the five khandas, the, the five aggregates, uh, rupa, vedana, sannyasa, and karavinyana, then uh, the, 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 these are all impersonal, and they're not self. But the, the ones that, the, that, uh, that create a sense of self is the sanya sankara, vedana, sanya sankara khanda. That's, I mean, it's the thinking, feeling, uh, tended, uh, perceptual abilities of our minds that we create a person out of it all. The, the body is just what it is. It's like, you know, we don't think of this as my, as me, this lily. You don't think of it as that I'm this lily because it is a feeling of being separate from me. I can, I can, uh, see it as something very separate. But uh, the body, because of that we're kind of being born into a, into a body, we tend to see it very much as ourselves. In every culture, every civilization, of course, uh, speaks in those ways. It assumes that we are the body. And consciousness also is, is a function uh, it comes through being born. It's uh, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, the mind itself, the mental, uh, the co- being the ability to be conscious of things, to bring into consciousness. This, so consciousness, they, when you're rupa and vinyana, they're in their pure forms. There's no, they don't, the consciousness uh, is uh, is just function that goes on uh, in the body through the body, and then the um, when you're when you're conscious of something, say you bring this into consciousness, say eye consciousness. There's just the eye contact with this. Then to to make it into something, you have to perceive it. You feel it maybe like you say you're attracted or repelled. This it's more kind of indifferent. One is not particularly attracted or repelled by this, but but uh, then we perceive it as a what the that which uh, strikes the bell, and uh, so that's a perception. And then we can then we can from that perception we you know if we say we we like it we don't like it we. We'd like to maybe repaint it or whatever, whatever we, however we proliferate around it, uh, and that is so that that uh, they whatever language you would, you know, in each language you'd have a different word, but they, you perceive it in, in, as a as a as a bell striker or whatever, and they um, so that like the Sanyakanda is. Gives it a gives it a, a name. It's a perceived as something. In pure consciousness, 
there's, you're not perceiving it yet maybe as anything it's just what it is and then uh, and then you then you you perceive it as something to strike the bell and then say something more emotive you know like like the flowers the beautiful flowers or maybe the the lily here that's fading it's getting all kind of wilted and you could you, you the consciousness it's in your consciousness eye consciousness and then then you you feel maybe slightly averse to this the feeling of, of being slightly put off by the wiltiness and uh, then one can you know create the so the way in the sanya sankara khandas are create this sense of of me and mine and it's attraction repulsion evolution and all this that that are carried on through through those three. So when we uh, when we talk about the suchness of something, then then we're using that perception of suchness to to remind or to bring into consciousness. It's just the way it is. It's not we're not trying to perceive it as something. We're we're learning to be with the way things are. We're learning to say open to the flow of, of conscious experience rather than, than always kind of fixing things with perceptions and prejudices, likes and dislikes and, and uh, positions for or against. Or, say, the body. When you're... The, it's the Veda and the Sanyasankara that, that, that make us feel I'm this body. The body doesn't say that you that I'm the body. The body is just what it is. It's a, it's a condition in nature, and so it. Uh, and then, but then we, we can, you know, we perceive it as this is me. I'm this body. I'm a, a man. I'm a monk. I'm Arjun Sumato. And then, then the then all the, those perceptions will trigger off various. Uh, uh, proliferations like I'm uh, I don't like the way I am I like the way I am I'm shouldn't be like this I should be like that and the, and the whole kind of personality arises comparing oneself with somebody else that's the Wade in the Sanya Sankara operating and it and it's in consciousness but consciousness itself is is neutral It's just being able to to uh, recognize things like I through the what you through sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, or through the through the mind itself, being aware of the of the the mood, the the vibes, the atmosphere, the intuitive um, function of mind. Because like like this is, look at yourself as, say, a sensitive form, not as a person anymore, a personality, uh, which is fraught with our own conditioning, like being a man or woman. How many of you, you're really firmly convinced you are a man or a woman? 
as a kind of permanent, ongoing thing. Isn't it? That's a very strong identity with the gender of the body. And, and then we assume that all the time the body is male and I'm a man all the time. Since the day I was born, or even before when I was in my mother's womb, in those days I didn't know what sex you, you were till you came out. Now they can tell. They can find out before it all happens. But in the old days, <laughs> it was a big surprise. Was it a boy or a girl? And, the, and then the, uh, then the, uh, the identity with, with gender is very strong. So that we think, or, or say, what, what do you think of you as a personality? So contemplate your own uh, kind of, what you generally perceive yourself as being, a, a kind of person. And you, that perception probably, if you bring it into consciousness, and what you see it's an, an underlying kind of uh, thing in your mind. It's, it's an assumption you make that you're the same person all the time. You're, the, you're a man or woman all the time, the same person all the time. That's because of, of that, uh, you, you make that assumption, because it's unquestioned. This is the way I am, I'm this kind of person. I'm a man all the time. Or I'm a monk all the time. Or I'm a American all the time. Or, you know, it's, uh, these, are, these are fixed identities. But when but when questioned and investigated, you see they come and go in the mind. To become a monk, you have to, the perception of being a monk arises in your consciousness. And then you become a monk. And then it drops, then, and then that ceases. Uh, and so it's not that you, you, you think I'm not a monk anymore, but the, but the, uh, the perception of being a monk is, is no longer present. And that, that comes through certain conditions. Certain conditions will, will bring that perception up in our, in our mind. The same with uh, being male or female. <coughs> Not, I don't think any of us go around thinking, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man, kind of <laughs> obsessed with it. <laughs> but uh, then certain things in society come up and then, and then you say, I'm a man or I'm a woman. And then, and that is, in the, at that moment, you become when you when you perceive yourself as a, as a feminine gender or masculine gender, then you become a man or a woman. This is just a way of reflecting. I'm not I'm not trying to tell you this is how it is, but this is a way of, of contemplating things that that you assume assumptions you're making about the kind of permanency of being a certain type a person, or a man or a woman, or a, a permanent English person, or a, a permanent uh, good or bad person, or lovable or unlovable, or whatever. These, these, uh, we, can, we can get fixed in a, in a perception of ourselves that we can carry on through a whole lifetime that affects uh, what we, how we, how we interpret life, but when you break through that, that, that basic conditioning and and uh, and the, the assuming uh, attitudes of your mind, 
you know, then you're then you're more in the flow of your consciousness. You're with the changingness of of this conditioned realm, in which then your your relationship to it is in dhamma rather than as a personality, as a good person or bad person, as a man or a woman or a European or Asian or whatever. Then these these things are still maybe conventions that we are appropriate to certain situations, but they're no longer personal identities, and they're no longer fixed assumptions that 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 blind you and and tend to uh, distort your the way you relate and and interpret your life. It's like like race or ethnic background and. Uh, how how that or class here in Britain isn't it where people are strongly identified with a class position that that one is underlying assumption maybe I'm working class all the time I was born into working class family and so since I was born I'm working class forever till I die or middle class, or upper middle class, or lower middle class. In Britain, you you have three kinds of middle class. In America, everybody's middle class. (laughs) Working class is middle class. But uh, here in Britain, you've... But these are... I I notice, because I don't have that kind of perception Class is not a particularly strong perception in my mind uh, of belonging to any class. Uh, you, when you live in Britain, then you become aware of, of the cultural conditioning of that perspective. <coughs> like an American talking about the middle class is very different. We, we mean something different than when, when the British talk about it. So I remember one of the Anagarikas getting upset one time because he's from working class. And felt very kind of committed and uh, loyal to the working class. And I would make statements about, like, well, you know, we're all middle class. And he'd get very offended by that. Because <laughs> he didn't want to be put into that category. <laughs> and <laughs> so that ex- this made a good point, isn't it, of how we. This, 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 you could get very upset over something like that. You know, so you want to leave. You think, well, I don't belong here. They're all middle class. I don't, and I'm working class. I don't belong here. And uh, find a, a working class Buddhist organization. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get into... But those are the that's, that's the misery we make, isn't it? Over, over uh, just those perceptions. Because we assume we're, well, you know, those things are have a reality, but it's it's dependent on the conditions, and uh, and so it's uh, one is you know those those uh, when the the particular class subject of class comes up, then then one then one. Uh, you know, is identifies maybe or is conventionally uh, identified with with a certain class, but it's only a perception. We're looking at it now 
in terms of dharma, of it's a perception in the mind that comes, that, ar- that arises and ceases. And by doing this, this kind of reflection, you're breaking down this, this underlying assumption that you're permanent working class or permanent m- female or permanent uh, good person or bad person. And also, you notice as you say in your in your meditation, as you as you are uh, increasingly more mindful, as a as a mindfulness is more continuous, connected, then 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 you are experiencing things that have you have no perception for, and that gets we get confused when we can't perceive it as something. That's when you get into doubt or some negative reaction because you you can't because we our reality for most people is is through perceiving something as it's this or that. It's interesting to see when when you. When when something comes into your consciousness, you have no perception for you. You tend to to put it into a category that that is nearest. You know, if it if it, or you tend to dismiss it, ignore it. So so if you uh, I remember just the the cultural conditioning of like the the Western musical the octaves and and uh, that of the Western music uh, has as per- you perceive things in 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 that you hear the sounds only in the in the in the in the designated notes and uh, the transitions are are not noticed we tend to where say in say Indian music is uh, much more like a, a dynamic form of sound it's not so it, and and we sometimes we find, or Chinese opera things like this, where we can even consider it cacophonous, or we can't. Sometimes we feel averse. You hear some Chinese music, you, you, it sounds so weird and strange that we just dismiss it. We can't even say it's not even music; it's noise, because we we we're used to a certain music. It's for us a certain thing. That we're that we hear, and when we hear something that doesn't align itself with that, then we tend to dismiss it. Or like learning a language, uh, learning say learning Thai language, which is a very different kind of language than a European language. It's a tonal language, and at first, I couldn't perceive the tones at all. In Thai, they could say things like, you know, like uh, we were talking about this the other day. <laughs> Ying is 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 woman. Uh, Ying is is a superlative. Uh, Ying is arrogant, and Ying is uh, to shoot. <laughs> to shoot the superlative woman. <laughs> 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 and I'm sure most of you just heard ying 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 ying, didn't you? <laughs> but actually, it was ying ying ying. 
<laughs> and and if you don't hear the or and ying 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 and the, and these are the and this makes all the difference in the meaning you see where we would where, where in English we're we're trained to perceive ying the sound the the tone we don't we don't hear it's we we don't perceive it we hear it but we don't perceive it until we start perceiving it now like when you're learning Thai then because you can say some pretty ridiculous things <laughs> if you get the tone wrong you <laughs> you have to train yourself to develop uh, uh, to to listen to to the tone and and that's quite a challenge I found is some someone like myself to try to hear hear that because at first all I heard was ying 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 and then then they'd say ying, ying and I'd say ying and then they'd say no and I'd say yes I said ying <laughs> you get very frustrated <laughs> But that's because of the the cultural condition, the language conditioning. You you hear like uh, you hear, like learning an, uh, another European language, like trying to learn French, is because uh, say in say in um, a lot of the the sounds, uh, French sounds, you don't hear. You you can't or you can't you can't produce in the exact way because the 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 movements uh, of the mouth and all that are and the, the Vowels, we we just don't we don't uh, designate. We don't perceive in as separate uh, sounds, at least in in the, in my uh, West Coast American accent. So that that this was, um, you know, I'm very frustrating trying to learn to speak, trying to learn to speak a foreign language because. Uh, y- at first, you were you th- when you first started, your whole you you thought that that everything was w- would be like the English language, and then one tended to, and then you learn oftentimes from books, so you perceive maybe a French word written in a in a book spelled in Latin alphabet, and then you pronounce it like you would in English, and of course it's. Nobody understands what you're saying. <laughs> so this is uh, this is just uh, what you know the the the, f- the conditioning. We, what we hear, what we perceive, is it tends to be conditioned, uh, culturally conditioned. Now in meditation, you're breaking through the cultural conditioning and the and the uh, societal conditioning. That we have, you're you're not trying to get rid of it, but you're you're getting to the the the, the original mind. That that's not the not, that's not conditioned through perceptions. So that you're 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 getting in touch with that again, so that you're not just caught in this in this kind of dead reactiveness of conditioning. And that's why the Buddha would say, people that are just conditioned are like dead. They're like, they're dying all the time. He'd say, Apamado Amatapadang. 
Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Pamado machuno padang. And heedlessness is the way to death. Apamado namiyanti. Mindfulness is like never dying, is like immortality. Is non-death. Mindfulness is non-dying. Ye pamada ya tamada. And and heedlessness is like dying all the time, the same as death. Each heedless moment is like a death. And so this is contemplating that, you know, just how how empty and meaningless life can get when we're just operating out of the conditioned reactions and and the and how dreary life gets as you get older, as the perceptions get rutted in in just mechanical consciousness, in mechanical reactions. You know how how our lives become just so so meaningless and empty and and dead for us as we just live in a realm of 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 conditioned reactions to life. And so in meditation, I think that's why we we come to retreats like this, isn't it? Because of the, the we re- we they are in- intuitively we're aware that there's that that life is is now and that maybe we we've lost touch with it we're we're caught in just this uh, and bound into this reactive conditioning and so this is where in the silence more and more you're getting even to before you're before you were conditioned at all like uh the uh, the the pure consciousness that ca- that came at birth and the the mentality that had no that wasn't perceptual yet hadn't been influenced by perceptions of being a, a boy or a girl or being working class or middle class or being anything and so in in uh, as you move to that 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 kind of stillness in your mind you begin to note that more then you can then you have the the perception the uh, the perspective on the on the conditioning and you can begin to see just a lot of fear and and insecurity personal insecurity and things like this the subtle movements they're not like kind of you know obvious problems but just how just how how through our lives we've 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 reacted in this way over and over again. We're so used to it we don't even notice it. And then as you're as you're more and more mindful, you begin to see observe it. Begins to, to be you're allowing it into consciousness. And and this and then then, it, then you can let it go. When when you allow the subconscious things into consciousness, then you're letting them go. There's a then you can let go of them. So in it's like uh, they they like uh, something like Alcoholics Anonymous, where they they say that an alcoholic cannot be cured until he actually admits, says, "I'm an alcoholic." And so in that in that point, then that person is allowing. Uh, admitting into consciousness, I'm an alcoholic, 
maybe for the first time. You, you know, I might have been been drunk for for years on end, <laughs> but would never. But it was it was merely a reactiveness of life, and then then uh, so that somebody says uh, you're an alcoholic, and then it, me, I'm not. I can stop any time I want, <laughs> or. Or they they can maybe they can make jokes about it, be facetious and say, "Yes, I'm an alcoholic, but that's a good thing," or make it into a good thing. But it's still not admitting, you know, like the truth of it. And then, when that is admitted, then it, then something in you, uh, then you can start letting go of of it. You can, you can, you can, uh, that's why it's like, like sometimes like being able to talk to somebody about how you actually feel. So that you, you can, you can hear yourself talk, telling somebody a confidant about all your fears and anxieties and, and, uh, and, and then by just telling somebody else, then sometimes you you're actually allowing these into your consciousness and you're listening, you're, you're beginning to... And in that way, you're also letting them go. You're, you can let them go. So that's why, say, in, the, in helping each other, some, learning to listen to each other rather than to, to, say, to, to kind of give advice. Sometimes all that somebody needs is to, to you to listen so that they can t- tell all their fears and worries, and in that way, also they feel, they feel much uh, much better after that. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? And it's you know I see it is working because you're allowing these fears and worries into consciousness, and that's why it's not very good to take it to like the one that's listening to. To I mean I've made many mistakes when people were doing this to me too to try to solve their problems and, and end up, you know, you know, really not listening, but just, uh, you know, saying things they already know. They'd be mindful and keep the sila and all that. And then <laughs> but, they, but maybe they, they just need to, to be able to, to talk and say the things that they've never told anyone, so that they can hear themselves saying it. Because in that way, it's it's also a, a kind of releasing and letting. You can let go. You can see what you're doing. Where oftentimes we're we're stuck in in uh, in just denial or in ignoring. And we develop defense mechanisms where we where we can not allow things to get into our consciousness. So that uh, we, when anything starts, anything frightening or unwanted starts getting on the edge of our consciousness, we have defense mechanisms, ways of distracting ourselves, of getting away from it. And then, uh, uh, and, and so life can go on in just this kind of, rip, and that's what alcoholism is really, or these addictions, they're, is ways of dealing with fear and and uh, ignorance, so that that's way of kind of getting away from from the fear, uh, a, a habit that one develops. Say, but in meditation, though, see, 
you invite the fears up and uh, all the the negative states and and um, let them come when they're ready. You don't, you don't have to start start making a big thing about it. But but uh, in meditation, sometimes very uh, very uh, anger can suddenly become very strong and fear being very frightened when there's nothing to when there's nothing to be frightened of. And then to regard that in terms of Dhamma is to see what has arisen in your consciousness. You can let go. Remember that. What, no matter what it is, if you, if you let it into consciousness, you can let it go. So that consciousness is the door of, of liberation. You're, but you have, the consciousness is, is a function. It's not, not you. So that's why we can still be conscious and still be very ignorant and alcoholics are still conscious and totally mad people still conscious. I mean, it's not that their consciousness is not being informed, not being cult- developed with wisdom. So in these Dhamma teachings, remember that these are wisdom teachings, therefore developing, uh, for watching, for, for their tools to use. Not tools, not, not, not things to grasp, but tools to use. And, and the more we, as you say in the four foundations of mindfulness, as you say, Vedananupasana uh, and Jitanupasana, then like, like the Jitanupasana, you begin to observe the kind of clinginess of the mind. The feeling is of just feeling compulsive or attached. The the m- mental state of the jitta or the mind. And you, but it, you you aren't perceiving it. You don't need to perceive it as a certain thing, or to judge it as, as some kind of you know some kind of moral judgment or value judgment about it. Just to note it. What we tend to do is we. We see attachment. We're attached to, to something, and then we, we think, I shouldn't be attached. If I were a good Buddhist, I wouldn't be attached. I'm attached to my my cat. And if I were really practicing, I wouldn't be attached to the cat. And that's that's uh, that. Notice the that that whole frame of reference. I am attached to my cat. And I'm a Buddhist, but I'm not very good because a good Buddhist is is free from attachments. So if I were to free myself from the statement, I'd probably have to get rid of the cat. <laughs> <laughs> then a moral dilemma is but isn't that being selfish if I if I, you know, think about the cat, you know, if I get rid of the cat, the cat might suffer. And uh, and uh, therefore maybe I'd better stay attached till a little longer. And the whole thing is 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 based on on the the logic of I am this person who's attached to this thing. But if you're if you're if you're letting this into your conscience, just listen to it and listen to this sense of 
uh, you know, this, this, this feeling of being attached to your, to the cat. You know, this feeling of, just to note it, not to judge it. But just to, to observe it, to, to look at that, that feeling of, of, of affection or attachment to, to the cat. And then to, to, to just, to, to trust in just the attention on it, to, to know, investigate it as just a, for what it is without, and, and see the tendency to, to maybe put a personal label onto it, like I am attached. I shouldn't be attached. And my mic's detached. <laughs> <laughs> it t- takes a lot of, like to when you like when you don't like somebody for example, somebody you don't like, and then then uh, idealistically you you think well, we should have metta for so it's one thing is that you you feel this aversion to somebody, and then then you come on with some kind of value judgment about it on a personal level, or you you can say well the person is you know shouldn't be that way, and, but if you're if you're if you're if you listen to that whole process, it's all you need to do just to to bear with it, to to listen to the and to and to accept the feeling of it of not liking. Uh, but the, notice that it's the perception of a person, not the person themselves. Because if you notice, you can you can think about somebody and not like them, but when you actually meet them and start talking to them, you you start liking them. But then the but then the because liking is based on you know is is a is a very uh, dependent uh, emotion. It you know it depends on things. It's not uh, like a perception. Somebody that's done you, done you wrong, and you and then you remember them. Then you you think they did that to me, and so that then that whenever you remember them, then you feel this aversion. So you can study that. You can think of somebody who's hurt you, who's who's uh, done wrong to you, and then you, you see, it's really a perception in the mind. Perception, not a real person. It's a it's a memory of a person, and that memory is connected with with a perception, with a memory of some unpleasant thing that happened. So every time you think of that person, that same feeling comes, and then you find yourself maybe meeting on the street and suddenly forgetting all about and start talking about something you're both you both uh, find interesting and then you're you're talking in a friendly uh, jovial way again and the perception of that person as being the person that's done you wrong in the past through that moment isn't there and then you walk away and then you start thinking about them again and then it can they aren't all that bad. <laughs> but then you can fall back into the old perception again, too. So, I mean, this is why... But this, this ability to witness and observe and listen is, is what we're pointing to, to, to trust in this more and to use it. It's in investigating 
and examining uh, the way things are. Well, loving, that's, uh, that's a, uh, a skillful means, loving kindness, you see, so that, so that loving kindness is a, is a perception like anything else, but it is, loving, loving kindness is, is a perception, a unifying perception rather than a dividing one. Like you can, like you can, you can see, you can, we, on the mind will work like, we're all humans. We're all equal. Everyone is as good as everyone else. We can talk in, in, in perceptions of, of uh, say, equality and freedom and totality. And, and that, that's one way of perceiving. Or we can shift and say, that person is a criminal, that one is a drug addict, that one is something else and and uh, we we start discriminating and then we 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 put them into 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 perceptions that are that are separating them and then we then we can get it even to personal feelings i like this person i don't like that person and uh and so that the mind you see can can work in in uh they in, in, in developing metta meditation is more on the level of uh, of all sentient beings. May they be free from suffering. May they be happy. May they be well. It's totally it's all. And then we then we perceive all possibilities from the gods, the the humans, the the devils, the the animal kingdom, the beings born and beings not yet born. The you know. In this way, it's it's kind of using the the mind to to create this this uh, atmosphere in the mind, or the the aramana of of uh, a a uni- one uh, a universality, a oneness, non-discriminative. So metta is you don't have metta more for for this person. Metta is 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 the same for everything. You know, because you're not thinking I want. I want 50% of my metta to go to my spiritual teachers and guides. I want 5% to go to the devil. <laughs> That's ridiculous, isn't it? So you, so you, you have, you know, it's, it's, it's just completely uh, using language to, to, to bring in the sense of totality one universality. Then when we do the asupa, there's the, the asupa practices, which is, is, is a practice to, um, for monks especially, who, who live celibate lives, where you're, you're, you're not, uh, you're, you're not, you have, you're not allowed to have uh, uh, any kind of sexual uh, activities. So that, that the we develop we instead of seeing everybody as all beautiful, which is one way you know, but there's another way of training the mind of of looking at the the uh, the not beautiful, so that we we tend to you know you, do, you go through the body you see the 
the organs of the body and the things that are not beautiful in yourself or in somebody else. And this helps to to create, to break down the illusion that, that that which creates lust in the mind. Like if the lust depends on the illusion of that person being really beautiful and attractive. And, and, then, and, and then lust is a very blinding emotion. You know, you lose your discrimination. When you get caught in the power of lust, your discriminative faculties pack up. They don't work. So then you, you, so in to, to counterbalance that, you, you, you develop discriminative. It's like uh, underneath the, this lovely skin is, is, is a skeleton. Or inside there's urine and excrement. And there's, <laughs> and then you think of the, 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 uh, just the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. The, these things that we tend to, we regard as glamorous in, the, with a, in a lustful way, but when taken separately, we don't find them arousing lust, when just seen in, in their separate form. So this is a way of investigating uh, discriminative abilities to, to counterbalance the, the power of lust, which is very blinding. And then the metta is is a practice to to uh, an antidote to aversion and criticalness, like uh, you know, not liking this, not wanting that, hating and and looking at criticizing and fault finding. And so uh, these are these are just skillful means that we use to to uh, that help you to they're tools for investigation. Right, because I mean, well, the creativity is a it then is a spontaneous thing from the mind. It's, uh, it's not. It's not the kind of from the dead conditioning of the mind. No, I mean, when the mind is freed from its from the deadness of its conditioning, its reactiveness, then then you find more poetic uh, expressions or things speak to you in different ways, or you start noticing things that you didn't notice. Like if you're just conditioned, you tend to have, you just fixed, you see everything in just a very fixed way. Mm-hmm. And then like the artist tends to work more on the intuitive, so that the, 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 fixi- the fixity of like the average, say, person's uh, way of, of looking and perceiving life, the artist tends to challenge, oftentimes to challenge that. If it's real creativity, rather than just 
call cleverness. Because even even the decaying process has its own kind of beauty or marvel. I mean, but if you're looking at if you think if your if your perception of beauty is this, the lily at its kind of peak, flawless. And then you look at this, then you, then you, I don't like this. You, you think, right, and and you're comparing it to this, yeah. and you're this is what you see as beautiful, then this is not, you see, <coughs> because your your mind is fixed. Um, this is this is a beautiful one. And this one isn't. That's a, that's how you you perceive it. But if you if you drop all that, then you you begin to, then the mind will will re- respond to the way it is, and you start looking at it not as in in a fixed way of, of as beauty as being only the the peak of something, only the the best. Well, the if the the asupa deals more with the uh, gamma realm, gamma danha or sensual desire, desire for sense pleasure and sense uh, excitement or stimulation, and then the other is is more like bhava danha, the desire for becoming, you know, like a desire for refinement. And bliss and 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 the bawadanha is is uh, and and the desire to get rid of things. These are these are much, these are subtler kind of desires. But the the same so in in in. Uh, but in reflecting on like noting happiness. Uh, one is is uh, say when you're investigating say the the bawadana a desire for, for to attain something attain something good not just some kind of selfish desire to to have a, a blissful life for yourself but even des- you know a desire for everyone to be happy and how how the suffering that comes from that. Uh, or you can see uh, uh, mothers uh, suffering a lot over their desire that their children be happy and not suffer. And uh, the, the, you see the anguish of motherhood when they, because <laughs> of the desire that to see their children uh, happy and, and uh, successful. 
and uh, and that's a like a bawadanha, or de- or desire to get rid of their take away your your children's suffering to get rid of it and the, and it, but all of it takes you to the suffer, grief sorrow despair and anguish like if you attach to happiness happiness isn't isn't you know happiness is still happiness but the attachment to it will take you to <coughs> grief sorrow despair and anguish so like people that want happiness all the time I would get a lot of, you know, a lot of despair because, because um, they, they, you know, they keep, they keep trying to hold on to, to things, and, uh, and then what makes you happy now may, may not make you happy tomorrow, and so you, you keep having to, to find new, new ways of becoming happy. Or in meditation, we, we, we want to become, you know, we want to, to get the advancements or feel we're getting someplace or, or these kind of bawadanha. Or we're trying to get rid of the defilement, you know, self-hatred, hating ourselves for, for having a, a wandering mind, hating the wandering mind, hating the, the doubtingness, hating the inner kind of incessant chattering. Uh, all of this is is vipavadanha. Uh, so when we when we're trying to shut up, make our minds shut up, and and get rid of our bad thoughts, and trying to become somebody, then then the meditate. You know, no matter how we try, we uh, it ends up taking us to grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. So this is why the the three kinds of desire are to be let go of, the letting go of desire. But to let go of desire, you need to know what it is. You can't just let go of desire theoretically. So you, you need to study desire. So, and this is, this is really important, rather than, than come from the I shouldn't have any desires, or good Buddhists shouldn't have any desires. Whatever desires you have, really, really look at them. Really feel them. And, uh, you know, exaggerate them. Bring them, bring them so, that <laughs> so that you're really, really, uh, you can really look at them and see and feel them. And, and then you, you begin to... to you know, your intuition will then start uh, revealing the true nature. But if you're merely coming from a kind of rejection, I'm with a desire now, I shouldn't try to suppress, then then you're always, then one is always, and that's a whip, that's whippawadanha, and then one's always kind of running away from things, thinking that one is, that that's the right thing to do. Well, that, the 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 refuge is in the in Buddha. You see, so this is in intuitive awareness, and so uh, it 
in and in the and in the and it operates through consciousness. But it's transcending consciousness. But it's affecting consciousness. Because like Buddha is universal intelligence. Deathless. You know, your refuge is in the deathless rather than in the than in the consciousness is is uh, is a result of birth. The separate form. Consciousness always implies subject-object. So, like, you, there's a, the, the relationship of the subject to the object. That's why in uh, uh, we're all, you know, being in a separate form, being born as a separate entity, then consciousness operates in this way. We, we, we are the subject. You are the object. I'm the subject. You're the object. Now I can I can interpret that on a personal level. Like I'm Ajahn Sumedha, you're Philip, and uh, and uh, I can we can talk about it in terms of conventional reality of how the world sees it all and and how we're conditioned to perceive our relationship as two people, two persons. But in terms of Dhamma, what's actually taking place is that you're in my consciousness. When I look at you, you're in in consciousness now here. That's what's actually taking place, as far as in, in my my uh, experience at this moment. So you're you're an object of my sight, and then I have a perception of you as as Philippe. See, so I perceive you as somebody I know, and I have a name for you. And then uh, and. But, but they, uh, then the, but then in in uh, actual experience, it's this: you, you are you're in you're you're a, an object in my consciousness, and there's a subjective knowing of it. Now, now I can interpret it in terms of worldly attitudes and conventions, or I start interpreting it in, into dhamma. So, in, in terms of Dhamma, rather than emphasizing personality and all the rest of it, we're, we're putting it in the paradigm of the Buddha and the Dhamma, you see. So that the, the Buddha is the, is the knowing, is the pure subjective knowing. But it's, instead of being personal, it becomes univer- it's universal. And then you, as an object in consciousness, is seen as, as Dhamma. Now the, the aramana in the mind, uh, a condition that arises and ceases, and one one also sees the perception of Philippe and 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 all that as a kind of function of the mind. But it's it's putting it in terms of of dhamma, in which uh, of what it really is, rather than in terms of worldly values, which are I'm Ajahn Sumedha, you're Philippe, and we and we. On this meditation retreat together, <laughs> the kind of the conventional realities is one thing, but then putting it into terms of of what what's actually taking place beyond the influence of of cultural conditioning and personal personal conditioning into Buddha Dhamma. 
then in, in relationship, then we relate to each other as Sangha. To practice together, support each other, be, you know, uh, respect each other and, and so forth in terms of Sangha. And the, on the practical level of, of two separate, two of, of my, say, my refuge in Sangha, then, then, then I relate to the objects around me with, say, sila. The, the other beings around, I relate to them through, through non-violence, through non-thieving, through, through restraint, through respecting their, them, and uh, through metta. about the Kali temple and uh, sexuality being sacred in the Hindu tradition and what life is sacred. Uh, I don't know in the tradition of Vedika Prasnaya or even uh, according to Buddhism enlightenment is possible in the human form. So that is I, I was only thinking about the, the Christian uh, uh, saying of being, being sinners um, out of desire, we create beings are created full of suffering. Um, so the word sinners are the unskillful. They take it. This desire to, to create a being which is subject to suffering. Well, like what you can actually know is like you get certain kind of uh, doctrines of different religions. And like the Christian tends to, Jewish and Christian doctrine tends to come from we're born sinners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, the, the, and through, the, through Adam and Eve who, who sinned, and then, and so that we're that we're involved in that original sin, and this is a this is a strong cultural perception of being a sinner, and that and and it tends to be Adam and Eve tends to be placed in a period of time like in in, in you know back in time. It's a historical event almost in the way we perceive it. They did. Adam and Eve uh, did something wrong way back when. And so ever since then, all the human beings that have been born have been born sinners. Mm-hmm. Now that, that is a perception in the mind. You can know that. that it's, a, it's, it's a mythological language. It's a, and and that, that kind of thinking is, a, is, a, is conditioned into us. It's perception, um, and this we can then we can put see the dhamma of it. Uh, we may like it or not like it, and that's also dhamma to see, agree, you know, liking that teaching or doubting it or having contempt for it. We can see see all that as uh, as uh, conditions that arise and cease and react to in reaction to that perception. But then. You say in uh, in Buddhism, it's interesting t- to uh, compare, say, 
like most of us were brought up in uh, Jewish or Christian societies or societies that were in, in that come from that kind of influence so that one of the big problems that we have is guilt we have tremendous guilt problems and uh, <laughs> I've talked about this with with uh, Tanjokun Panyananda and, and uh, in because uh, one time Tanjokun Panyananda a Thai monk was here and somebody was asking him about guilt and <laughs> and uh, and Tanjayasara the British monk was with him he's very good in Thai and he was translating because uh, trying to explain in Thai what western guilt is and Tanjokun Panyananda couldn't quite see the problem there and then he just said oh he said yeah well that's just a a, a minor mental agitation <laughs> and and so he just said uh, and I said for you maybe but for us it's a kind of major <laughs> overwhelming mental agitation and 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 then then uh, asked him about how do Thai people see themselves as well, they don't see themselves as sinners, uh, as a culture anyway. They see themselves basically pure, and then through their acts they make defilements, but their true nature is purity, you see. So and this is both in Hinduism and Buddhism, the, the, assum- the cultural assumption there is that you're, you're pure, and then through the karmic acts you... you, you, you but your true nature is pure, and it's still pure all the time, even though but these wrong acts blind you and you get lost in your own delusions. But in, in that way, then you, you, d- you don't find such overwhelming guilt problems. And the Dalai Lama was asked about how Tibetans see themselves, and he said, basically, Tibetans like themselves. And Thais, I think, basically like themselves. You know, they don't have... The, but... Uh, I think Westerners, we don't, basically, we don't like ourselves. <laughs> and, and, and you can, I, I'm sure it, you can trace it back to, to just the cultural assumption of sinning, of being sinners. It's, it's Yes, I'm doing my bit for population control. Is one because I'm actually born with karma. There is karma there. 
from the moment one conceives in the mother is there not is one not influenced by the, the stars, the moon, the personalities of heaven, possibly what one's done karmically previously? So one's actually born with karma to work with, isn't one? One's not actually born with clear consciousness only. I mean, there's the there's the the, the uh, underlying uh, influence, karmic influences, but the the but then these are like this is what makes us get born anyway. Mm. But the but the but the the mind is is basically pure, and then these then these karmic things as they arise. And see, as we in meditation is. As our karma rises, we're we're accepting it and letting it go, in just to say in conscious experience. So, so in that letting go, then we're, then we're 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 letting go. And realizing that the true, the immortal reality. The true nature of of. The, the deathless reality, you see. So, so that these forms. Um, so that the Buddha was teaching a way that because of our karma, I mean, we all have different things to work through, different problems in, in the myriad uh, varieties. But, uh, but, the, but the refuge is in the universals, not in the particulars. So, so that... Uh, if there were no way out, then we it would be just a, a you know it'd be a hell realm. But because there is this, no matter what our common like in in the scriptures, you had like Angulimala kind of killer, become an arahant, and and yet after he became an arahant, wherever he'd go, people say Angulimala killer and throw rocks at him and beat him up. And I'm sure that must have been very unpleasant for him, but. But he was, but he he knew it was the resultant karma of of having killed people. Uh, so as an arahant, he could accept the resultant karma without anger or resentment. So that's like 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 we uh, whatever we get in life, when when we see it in terms of in terms of dhamma, then it may be unpleasant or unfair, or whatever, but. But then we're not we're recognizing it in terms of, of Buddha knowing the Dhamma rather than and so then we, we can bear with it, we can resolve it. Like Angulimala could resolve his karma through 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 understanding, even though he couldn't get out of it. The what? The, the symbolism behind the cloth, which is stretched between two poles by the face. Oh. <laughs> oh, yes. What's it for? <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
It knows it's fairly functional. Do you think we could take it down, or is it? Well, I think as you, as your mindfulness increases, then you tend to, like like I find that the that uh, I don't need to sleep very much, and I c- I fall asleep mindfully, so that that um, you you can you, it's like you can uh, there's something still even though you're you're unconscious you're in sleep consciousness you. You can get up at the right times and things like this. It's, uh, it's, uh, so there's, you know, there's, uh, it's not like heedless. It's not like being crashed out into a heavy sleep. But it is a restful state of, of mind in which the body can, can, uh, rejuvenate its, uh, its energies. And then dreams, uh, what, how I see that is, is oftentimes there are the things that have been kind of uh, ignored during the day. They come out in dream states at night. So that uh, by, by observing, you know, you can, you can see that, that certain things are, uh, maybe you, you need to... to uh, Look at things in a different way, or th- they can oftentimes give you give you kind of clues into point the things in your life that that you you are heedless of, or emotions that you still are not ac- uh, accepting, or fears and that. And, that. and then there are another the other kinds of of uh, kind of dream-like states or visions that you can have. It's very kind of clear. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, you know, the people want these kind of dreams because they're, they're very interesting. But uh, they only come when, you can't make them happen. They come when, when, it's, when the time is right. But not to make anything out of those either, because the the danger is always to 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 try to is to complicate it with some kind of personal attachment. So, so some people, you know, really want to have uh, these visions, visionary kind of experiences, uh, thinking that that's some kind of attainment. But that's the wrong attitude. You see, the, to 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 take it on a personal basis. So, like in, in Lumpur Cha was always saying, whatever it is, just see it as impermanent and not self. So, so if some people have visions and and uh, can you know have all kinds of fantastic kind of psychic experiences, and 
and other people don't. Some people don't have anything very interesting. Uh, but as far as Dhamma goes, it's not, it, one sees that whatever is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. So note that they, you're putting in the context of Dhamma, even if it's most kind of fantastic visions and, and uh, marvelous uh, kind of messages from the gods and whatever. Look at it in terms of, of its impermanent rather than as, you know, a special, I'm a special person. Or if you're if you've got a mind where none of this is produced, you just sit there and get dull or or uh, nothing interesting ever happens. Uh, dullness and and boredom and that also is impermanent and not self. So I mean it it's we're looking at the we're looking at it in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of its uh, quality. And this we have to trust in because we're working out our karma. You know, it's uh, people have different karmas to work out. But if you, you know, if you if you're talking, if you're if you're having, if you're going through a really dreary patch, nothing interesting, no in visions, no kind of blissful moments, just aching knees and sore back and dull mind, then you talk to somebody else and say, "Oh, what a fantastic meditation retreat!" And, God, you know. And, Lights and then, and the, <laughs> then the marvelous kind of angel- angelic creatures came, and and uh, I really saw, you know, the truth that really, you know, Buddhism is it. Wow! <laughs> and then you think, then you think, oh, you know, I'm just not getting anywhere. And if you just trust in being aware of of whatever it is you're feeling, that's that's developing the path. It's very direct person that gets lost in their in the in the marvelous visions they're not developing the path or the person that that gets lost in their own uh, despair their inability to have anything with interest have any interesting experience that they're not developing the path but the developing the path is by seeing that that whatever subject to arising is subject to ceasing and is not self It's a, yes? You mentioned the other day that one person's mindfulness is the same as another person's mindfulness. Can you say a bit more about that? Well, it's like when you, if you, if there's a pure awareness, that's, uh, it's like you, that's the symbol of the island, the island that you cannot go beyond. And then, then from there, you can see that you're aware of the objects of the mind, like the thoughts or the feelings, perceptions, attachments. Uh, you know, the, the kind of which are personal, maybe, but that which is purely aware is not is non-personal. And and it, so that's that it's not mine, in or it's not yours as on a personal level. Maybe we're we're there there's the mindfulness there within the particular forms, but the 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 it's the same. It's not not like two. 
because we're even though that's the the way it looked in the in the conventional perception of it yet uh, pure the pure awareness is universal it's not it's not uh, personal and therefore the uh, when you when you realize that then then uh, you, the sense of loneliness is resolved because one of the problems we have is uh, is is with loneliness we get very lonely and and as you get more inverted introverted often you get even more lonely and uh, and in uh, monastic life is incredible loneliness you have to go through the sense of of loneliness that uh, that comes through celibacy and through uh, not ha- being able to to have things, very many things, and also the the uh, the way you can be so so uh, so isolated in your own practice, and then as you but then as you reflect more and realize the the oneness underlying oneness. Then the the sen- that that feeling of being somebody who's alone or lonely, and you see it only as a condition of the mind that drops away. It no no longer has a, has a, the power to to influence you anymore. But in the, you know, and you can see each one of us is is alone, existentially speaking. And we can see that oftentimes our loneliness is, you know, like the uh, or attempts to to just uh, have someone else to relate to is an attempt to to get rid of the loneliness, and uh, and so we make demands on others, and uh, thinking, you know, you you must, you know, you must relate to me so I won't feel lonely and then so you can see like people marrying each other with this demand of of uh, you know take away my loneliness and, and in the process sometimes you even feel more lonely or you know the like uh, sexual promiscuity activities like that tend to to make people more lonely because it, even though there's more an attempt to kind of relate to somebody else in some physical way or some emotional way it, it's based on the on the, it, it 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 creates a sense of even more loneliness or alienation so then when when one is is going to the to the you know as it, through the meditation and you're investigating more and more sometimes you you feel even more lonely but taken to that to the island you cannot go beyond, then, then it it the loneliness dissolves because it's you see the you you realize a universal the oneness, and then you then you can then you relate to people, not through not through that kind of demand or. You know, need for emotional reactions from them, but then through compassion or respect and love and joy or the ways of, res- of of relating, responding to each other 
in, in the, from the purity of the mind. And it's universal, like metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, the four Brahma-viharas are divine radiances. They're universal. They're not personal uh, kind of qualities or karmic, karmic tendencies. They come through that relinquishment of delusion. And then we relate, we relate to each other. I mean, like, on a practical level. And you, like it's interesting when Ajahn Amaro went to Dhamsala uh, last month and for this conference with the Dalai Lama. And he was telling, saying that this, uh, this uh, Tibetan, uh, this woman, a, a nun, but she's an English uh, person, but she's been a Tibetan nun for years. And, and she was telling the Dalai Lama about the conditions of the Tibetan nuns and, and how, uh, you know, and, and how difficult it is to be a nun in the Tibetan tradition. And, and uh, she went on for quite a while in a very kind of dramatic way. And the Dalai Lama was crying. <laughs> I mean, well, that was, uh, he had to, they had to give him a box of uh, tissues. I mean, there's obviously, there's a sense of was he was he lost in some kind of personal, uh, you know, grief over the state, or is that is that a natural response to hearing such sad sad things? But there's no, you know, it's a, it's a natural response when we hear the sadness of something, we cry, but it's not personal. It's. Uh, it's coming from the from the universal, from the from the the compassionate universe. You see, then then there's no, but it's 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 uh, it's uh, where when it becomes personal, then it then we we be, it becomes distorted in some way. And so, like like say in a country like this, where we tend to suppress those tendencies to cry or to uh, you know to when we hear sad things we can just kind of turn off to them we we can when we hear news about like you're hearing the terrible news about children being murdered and, and and things like this and then then it's sad but we can we have ways of just kind of ignoring of not feeling it understanding that intellectually but not feeling it but as you, as as you're more mindful, then you're willing to feel it too. You're willing to feel the sadness of life. In, and and in that, it's not suffering anymore. It's not feeling the sadness of life. Isn't suffering. It's uh, compassion. It's where we we when we feel it, then we then we. Uh, the compassion is there. We're, we're willing to feel the suffering of the universe is, is, is karuna. Or we're willing to feel the, the beauty and joy of the universe is mudita. And uh, upeka, the, 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 uh, the, the equanimity to be able to, to abide in I mean, we're not—we're no longer seeking uh, 
to feel compassion or we're not caught in the desire to have compassion and mudita and joy and love but much of life is 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 equanimous is neither you know one or the other but equanimous and which is very blissful which is which is bliss or equanimity I think we can have a sitting. <coughs>